0: But so last week we talked about Saul. We talked about how Saul looked like a king, but then he didn't obey. He cared cared way too much what people think and not enough what God thought. Um, And so he lost the kingdom out of that disobedience, out of that incomplete obedience. And so tonight we're going to pick up with the guy that comes after Saul, and we're going to talk about him, talk a little bit about what made him different. And... um, But to jump into that, we're going to talk about, have you ever felt like the odd person out? Like the odd man out, the odd woman out, right? And um, so we just played a game where we picked teams, right? And I don't know about you guys, but like when you were kids, did that ever happen? Where like you're picking teams and like this person picks this one and this person picks this one, man. I think, like, we've improved things as we've gotten older. Like, now, usually, in Kaiapha, if it's not to make a point, we just have people number, like, one, two, one, two. And they're like, ones go here, twos go here. And nobody has that, like, oh, are they going to pick me last feeling. And so we picked Donate last because we knew he'd be a good sport, um, and, and we knew that he has self-esteem, and so hopefully he wouldn't have that feeling. Right? But we all kind of know what it is to feel like that kid that's picked last. And, like, even if you're super athletic, and for whatever reason, that wasn't you as far as like teams, right? Like you were never picked as a team. You probably know what it feels like to be left out somewhere, to be not considered for something. I think we all identify with that feeling at some point in our lives, um, and so I think we can all relate to that, and as we look at this story, we're going to look at somebody that felt just like that. Um, And this week, it's kind of funny to talk about this topic this week because um, just the other day on Monday, it was Mean Girls Day. Anybody? Mean Girls, the movie, right? It was Mean Girls Day because we have a day for that now because, like, American culture is just weird. Um, There's Mean Girls Day, which kind of made me laugh because I find that movie really funny. Um, I probably shouldn't find it so funny, but I think I really relate to it because I was this kid that, like, elementary, middle school, I was really picked on. I was awkward. Um, I couldn't find the picture. I really wanted to bring it for you guys. But there's this fantastic, I mean, I'm talking fantastic, if you see this thing, like, you need to throw it on social media because um, it's just so tragic. There's this photo of me in in fourth grade, and I had glasses, but they weren't cute hip glasses, okay? They were like boy glasses on a little girl. And I had my hair in a fountain on top of my head because I thought that was really cool at the time. And there's a bow in it, right? Um, And then I have braces and I thought it would be really cool for the, the orthodontist to put different colors on each little bracket. So I mean, it's, and then like the shirt is like splatter painted or something because it was the 90s, okay. So this, this photo, it is like tragic. But every time I think about the kid that was picked last, I like think of myself in that photo because I'm like, you know, I got picked on a lot. And then some of them like, okay, I would have made fun of that hair too if it hadn't been on my head, like, like it was bad. Um, but that led to me going to high school and instead of learning from that and being like, man, that wasn't a good feeling, I became, like, a mean girl. And so I relate to that movie. I relate to that being so insecure that you, like, then turn around and, like, try and find your identity and popularity and making other people insecure. Um, so anyways, I just thought that it was, like, too funny that we're talking about that feeling of being left out and it was Mean Girls Day. And I'm like, man, I used to be a mean girl. Praise the Lord that he changed my life. And um, he changed me. And I'm no longer a mean girl. Um because it wasn't really fun. It was really kind of, like, lonely anyway. Um, but so I think this is a feeling we can all relate to at some point in our life. Um, you guys, like, everyone faces the struggle that somewhere you feel left out, somewhere you feel unconsidered. And this is exactly why I love this chapter of the Bible, First Samuel 16, and why it encourages me. Um, so this chapter, it picks up right after what we talked about last week in 1 Samuel 15, where Saul is rejected as king. And this chapter begins with God calling to Samuel. Remember, he's he's the um, prophet. He's the judge in Israel. And he's the guy that goes in and raises up the king. And the first king didn't do so good. So God calls to him. and He's like, you're going to raise up another king for Israel. And then so in 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul, I've rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I've selected one of his sons to be my king. And you guys, this is God asking what would seem to be the impossible of Samuel. Because Samuel realizes that if I go anoint a new king, while God has rejected Saul, Saul is still on the throne. And Saul could have me killed, right? Um So he could be put to death for anointing a new king while the former one is still alive. Um, And I think that's really interesting because God sometimes asks us to do what seems inconceivable or impossible to us. But he's God. And so he can make a way even when things seem impossible. Amen? Even when circumstances seem impossible, we can trust him if he's telling us to go because he can make a way. And so much to Samuel's credit, um, he, he does exactly that here. He trusts the Lord. He goes anyways to look for this new king. Um, and even when he feels like his life could be in danger, he obeys. Right? So off to Bethlehem, Samuel goes. He's like on his journey. And he goes under the guise of offering a sacrifice. But it's not really a guise because he really is going to offer a sacrifice. But that's kind of how he gets to Bethlehem. That's his cover for going there to meet this new king. Um, And Samuel connects with Jesse and he requests that he and his sons join him for a meal. And so Samuel knows, like he and God know, that he's on this mission to find a new king. Um, But like Jesse doesn't know that. He's not in on this yet. Right? And when Samuel sees his first son, who's alive, he thinks, aha, there's the new king. He's like, there he is. I can tell. He looks like a king. Right? so in verse six it says this when they arrived Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought surely this is the Lord's anointed. so this guy like something about him just looked like like he must be the next king of Israel right and I don't know about you guys but like every time every once in a while you see somebody that they're like "They, they should be like something important or like there was a guy we went to a concert last night we went to see Lecrae which was awesome by the way and there's this guy in the middle like kind of in front of where we're standing and he was really tall like, that guy should be in the NBA, right? Like, sometimes you see somebody, and they look like they should be something. And so he sees Eliab, and he's like, that's got to be him. That's got to be the king. And it's funny to me that he sees Eliab, and he assumes this. It's somewhat comforting to me, too, though, because even this godly, prophetic Samuel struggled with seeing things the way that God sees them. And in this moment, he acts like a perfectly normal human, and he trusts, what, he trusts what his eyes can see, okay? But it's also incredibly encouraging because, you guys, God sees differently than you and I see. God sees differently. I often find myself feeling overlooked by people, okay? It's like one of those things I've struggled with um, my whole life. So I feel, like, overlooked, and I think, honestly, at least for me, I've spent way too much time analyzing why. You know, and so, like, Growing up, I'd ask questions like, is it because I'm shy? Because I tend to be a little bit shy. And like Shauna said, it's one of those things that like the Lord has helped me with. But you put me in a room full of like people much older than me that I do not know. And man, you'll see, I'm, I still am shy in moments. There's moments of shy. So is it because I'm shy? Is it because I'm socially awkward? But then, like, really, who's not, right? So everybody's a little socially awkward. So um, it's probably not that. Am I not a good leader? You know, do I smell bad? Well, could go on. I don't think it's that I, I believe. Um, but at the end of the day, it could be all or none of those things, right? Like if you're trying to figure out in and of yourself why you're overlooked, like you could make a list a mile long and, and you're never really going to know. It could be all or none of those things. But so the wonderful thing is this. But with God, it doesn't really matter, right? If I keep my heart right and focused on him, he may yet see me even when nobody else does and choose to do something really incredible with my life, right? And there's a song by United Pursuit that talks about that and says, I give it all to you, Lord, trusting you to make something beautiful out of me, right? And so I can trust that, like, God sees me even if man doesn't see me and, like, he may yet use me to do something for his glory because he sees and he knows what I'm capable of. Um, So God responds to Samuel And this assumption that Eliab is going to be Israel's next king in verse 7, he says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So this one simple verse so clearly sums up God's priorities. Like this one verse, it shows us God's priorities versus people's priorities so clearly thinking back to last week so saul looked like a king but we learned that his heart was disobedient that he was self-centered it didn't work he didn't turn out to be a good king he wasn't a good leader for the people and he didn't teach them to follow god so this verse shows us that we're unable just to look at someone and see what god sees like i can't just like look at Anna and see what how God sees her, right? Like, I can't just look at Karen and see how God sees her. Like, I can't just look and see what God sees. God sees past all of the outside stuff and he sees into the heart. Um, and only God can see inside hearts, right? And so, it also makes me realize, like, little side note, it also makes me realize that I should pray a lot more for God's guidance in dealing with people because he understands the whole person and I just see what I see, right? And so I should, like, pray for sermon and stuff. That's just like a sad nugget. Um, so now after this meet and greet with Jesse's son, Samuel says what has become, you guys, this has become my favorite verse in the whole story. And I'll explain why in a minute. But this has become my absolute favorite verse in the whole story. In verse 11, he says this. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Right, so it tells us that... Um, if you read the story, and you can read it later, we're just not going to, like, read verse for verse tonight. But it tells us that Eliab came, and God was like, not that one. And the next one came, not that one. The next one came, not that one. And all of these are, like, perfectly good, strong, tall, young men. They could be a king, right? And then Jesse's like, these are my sons. And Samuel knows because he's listening to the Lord. He's like, he's my ear. So I just think... But, like, so much faith in God is evident in this one little question that, that he's willing to trust and be like, no, he's not here. You must have more sons. Um, so he says, are, these are the sons you have. And I just think there's so much trust in that statement, right? Because he's got seven dudes standing in front of him, and, and, like, they probably all look, like, as good as any other one to be a king. And yet he knows the one guy that God doesn't want, or the one guy that God wants isn't there, right? And, and so he could have done one of two things. He could have been like, one of these is surely good enough and just picked him, right? But he doesn't do that. Or he could have, right? He could have been to God like, sorry, bro, didn't find your king today. I'm going to get out of here. But he, he doesn't do that. He asks this question. And he says, are these all the sons that you have? He trusts God and he asks this question that like in that situation, you walk into somebody's house that you do not know. You say, bring me your sons, and they bring you like their sons, like you don't really question them. That's that's kind of not normal, right? So he asks this crazy question: Do you have more sons? And so here in this story, we see David, the future king of Israel. Okay, spoilers—he's a future king. Um, get completely overlooked, and you can hear it in Jesse's response because he says this: They're still the youngest. Right? But like, he gets completely overlooked. He doesn't even get invited to this meal. His entire family has overlooked him, and his father seems reluctant to even mention um, when Samuel point blank inquires, like, are there more? His father still seems reluctant. Um, And so, why? You know, and, and this takes me back to the listing like, why do I get overlooked? I'm like, why did David get overlooked? Right? Like, was he different? Was he undesirable in some way? Was he like eccentric, or small, or odd? Or was he a dreamer? Or did he just fit with the sheep like way better than he fit with the people? You know, um, was he socially awkward? <laughs> you know, like, but we we may never know. The Bible doesn't really tell us that, but we do know this, David was overlooked by his very own family. Like, completely overlooked, not even invited to the meal. But God, you guys, God did not overlook David. He sought him out. God says of his next king of Israel, and he says this before we ever meet David, back in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. So in 1 Samuel 13:14 it says, the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people. And then it, it repeats in Acts when it's going back and it's remembering who David was in verse uh, chapter 13, verse 22. It says, "But Saul, God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And so a man after his own heart. You guys, what does that mean? It does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's heart. And if you look at the Hebrew, the word is labab. Um, it probably is pronounced differently, but this is a Jackie pronunciation, labab, right? a <laughs> very country, southern American pronunciation. Um, but it means the inner man, the mind, the heart, or the will. So to have a heart after God is to be like-minded, or better said, to be like-hearted. To love what God loves to hate what God hates, right? To desire what God desires and to follow heart after him, seeking to do his will. So God is looking for men and women who are after his heart. He's looking for people who are going to love what he loves, who are going to hate what he hates, who are going to care about what he cares about, right? And and so I think we learn from David and like, we're not called to be kings and queens, right? We're called to be, like, other things because we're not in Israel. So obviously, you're not called to be the king of Israel, right? God has a different calling on your life. I'm not called to be the king of Israel because, like, I'm not in an Israel and I'm a girl. You know, like, there's, there's some factors there. But God has a calling on each of our lives, and he has different things that he wants to see done in the world, but he wants to call people who are after his heart, who are going to love what he loves and hate what he, hate what he hates and be about what he's about, right? And so at the end of verse 11, we read that Samuel commanded Jesse to send for him at once. We will not sit down until he arrives. And you guys, like, I don't know about you guys, but when I read the Bible, like, I like to read the story, and then I like to take a second and stop and, like, think about it and process it. And for me, like, if I were standing on the edge of the scene observing it, like, how awkward would that be? right, but you've got Jesse, you've got seven sons, we're told that like one of them looks really kingly, and so he's probably big and tall, the other brothers are also probably big and tall, at least in comparison with David at this point, right, and they're all hungry, and they've all been called to a meal, and, and he's like, we're just going to stand here until the little one comes, like we're just going to stand, I just think that's like awkward y'all. I mean, some of you guys, you're college guys, you know your appetite, right? So imagine you're standing there hungry and and you just have to wait on little bro to come. Like, I just think that would be so awkward. But little did they know in that waiting who David was going to become and what was about to happen and the process that God would bring him through and make him king. So David's family overlooked David, but God saw him clearly. He saw a heart that was after his and he raised him up. And you guys, sometimes we too, we feel overlooked or we feel unconsidered. But we can learn from David. We can have a heart that we cultivate to be after God. We can spend time in his word, to read the Bible, get to know who he is, right? Because if you want to hear God talk to you, you want to hear who God is, like he's written a whole book and it's there for us to discover who he is, to discover his heart, right? We can talk to him and get to know him in prayer. We can cultivate that heart that is after him, and we can be ready to be used by God. Because even if nobody else notices, God will take notice. Right? Even if nobody else notices, God will notice a heart that is after his. And those are the people that he can use. And it has nothing to do with that word appearance, right? It has nothing to do with what people think. It has nothing to do with like even being like this great leader and everything to do with having a heart that's after him. Because if your heart is after him, he can direct you, right? And, and he can promote you, and he can make a way for you. And so what if you say, that's all well and good, but I don't, like, I don't have a heart that's after his. Like, my heart is all messed up. And, and you guys, like, it's really possible to be in a service like this, hearing a message like this, and be like a mean girl, because I was, okay, <laughs> like I was. And there was a point where I had come to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. So I accepted him. I'd invited him in. You know, but then somebody spoke a message, my pastor. It was very much like this. And he was like, God wants us to have a heart like his. And I was like, my heart is nothing like his. Like my heart wants its own way. I said last week, my heart reminds me a little bit more of Saul than it does of David. Right? So what do we do if we find ourselves in that predicament? Well, The Bible tells us this. In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. You guys, this is one of my favorites. This is one of those that I live here. I pray it often because I need to. The Bible says this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So if we want God to give us a new heart, if we're looking at our own heart and we're like, it's, it's not. It's not after him, right? If we want a heart that's after him, after his will, all we have to do is ask. Okay, and it's not like ask and, and then just leave, but like ask and really mean it, right? Because it's, I mean, it's definitely a process. If you have a heart that's selfish and you want a heart to become all for God, like there's going to be a process in that. But if we ask and we we come to God in prayer humbly and we're like, hey, my heart isn't where it needs to be, but I want you to change it. And we make that our prayer tonight. We make that our prayer tomorrow when we wake up and we continue to walk that out day by day and read his word and spend time with him in prayer, then our heart will change. Like it really will start to change to where it doesn't love what it used to love. It starts to love what God loves. Right? And it doesn't hate what it used to hate. Because, like, my heart, it used to hate obedience. And it used to hate, you know, like, these things that, oh, that didn't... Like, I didn't want to do that Christian life It seemed, like, hard and not fun. You know, but now it loves it because it understands, like, the purpose and the reason behind those things. And, like, you guys, there's always a reason. Even with obedience, like, even with the things that seem completely inconceivable to us, there's a reason. And it's funny because, like, you get a few years down the road and you're like, oh there was a, like a great reason that God said not to do this. Um, but there's always a reason because he cares for us, right? So if we walk that out and we make that our prayer. Like he'll begin to change our heart and to make it more and more like his. Um, and so we're going to pray. And after we pray, we're going to worship. And this is why we turn the service on its head, cool? Because I can talk to you guys about having a heart after his. But really, it's something that like, you need to take the time with the Lord to pray and go after yourself. And so instead of, like, worshiping at the front end, we're going to have some worship where we just kind of respond. And so, like, you can sing along to the Psalms or you can spend some time in prayer and just ask God, like, move in my heart, or what are the things that you see, the Lord, that I need to work on, right? But we're going to just kind of, like, have an open, like, worship and prayer time for that at the end so that we can actually, like, respond to what God is doing. Like, sometimes, like, we hear the word, and we're like, yes, I need that. And then we, like, we even eat cookies, right? And so, like, tonight, we're going to linger before we leave and eat, right? We're going to linger for just a minute and actually ask God to, like, do the work in us. And I encourage you guys to really go after it. Really go after it. Um, So we're going to pray two things. The first is, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're like, I need him to come into my heart. Like, I don't even have that relationship with Jesus. I'm, I'm still, like, lost and without God, and I need him to come in. Um, then you have to invite him in first, right? And so we're going to pray if anybody wants to do that. And then the second thing we're going to pray is if you're saying, like, man, God, I love you. I know you're my Savior, but I need you to make my heart after you. Then we're going to pray for that. Um, so you guys will just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. God, I just thank you. God, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. God, thank you for the opportunity to speak and to share your word. And God, most of all, just pray that you would move in our hearts and in our lives tonight. Um, In Jesus' name.